How do I evaluate a potential RIA to join? That is today's question on the transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 89. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RIA model. If you're not already there, if you head on over to transitiontoria.com, you can find all of the resources I make available from this entire series in video format, podcast format, I have articles, I have white papers, all kinds of resources to help you better understand the RIA model. Okay, on today's episode, for those that are watching by video, we have a very special guest, the one and only Penny Phillips with Journey Strategic Wealth. Penny, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I look uh, I look forward to the conversation for sure. For those, I'll ask Penny to give a, a little background on herself in a second. Uh, but for those that don't know Penny, and most of you will already know her, uh, one of the things I am excited about having her on uh, and I'm excited when I when I first met her is, as I try to do in the industry, and, and Penny's got me beat by a mile, is the amount of education and content she puts out to help financial advisors on all facets of, of running a practice uh, is incredible. Uh, it's, it's given back to the industry. So she's at conferences, webinars, podcasts, coming on shows like this. So Penny, the, you're, you're the best person for today's topic, and I appreciate it. Uh, all that you do for the industry and appreciate you uh, offering to come on today as well. So before I kick it to her for the background, today's topic is, uh, and, and a lot of these episodes, right, I go into for an advisor that's considering the RIA model, does it make sense to maybe start their own or perhaps join an existing RIA? And as I talk about a lot, there's pros and cons to all the different approaches into it. However, if you have concluded that joining an existing RIA is perhaps your best path, the next kind of variable to, to solve for was, how do I evaluate these available RAs that are out there? And then there's over 30,000 RAs in the marketplace. All of them are not looking to attract advisors. And then there's a lot that are looking to attract advisors and arguably don't have very good value propositions. And so the question is, if you find some that might be a good fit for you, how do you evaluate them? And so what we're going to talk about today is things you should be looking for with the RIA, and then also just literally the process you go through with that RIA to go through these steps. That's what Penny's going to be here helping us out with. So before we dive into the questions, Penny, if you could give, for those that don't already know you, a uh, brief background on yourself and your firm. Absolutely. So so glad to be here. Perfect topic, by the way. We were, we were just talking about this. You know I love this topic. I've spent my entire career coaching and consulting within the industry, which I know is sort of unique. Uh, I was consulting advisors and institutions around practice management, initially in-house for firms. So I've worked at firms like InvestNet. I started my career in the uh, captive insurance broker-dealer space, uh, helping firms build internal corporate RIAs. And then ultimately I went out on my own, launched a consulting business called Thrivos Consulting, where like you, I was helping advisors sort of understand the independent space, move to independence, drive enterprise value, and ultimately monetize their independent businesses. A couple years ago, I uh, made another transition and launched an RIA with a couple of partners. And the reason, Brad, which is going to tie into our conversation today, is because in my consulting engagements, I found that advisors were were uneducated, and it's the industry's fault, by the way, 
on the options that existed to them in the RA and independent space. So I talked to a lot of advisors who'd leave a wirehouse or, or a broker dealer, go RIA, think that they were ha- going to have all their problems solved for, and then get to the to the RIA and say, gosh, this actually isn't really what I wanted, or gosh, I'm stuck in a deal that I wish I wasn't stuck in. And I made it my mission to make sure that never happens again. And I built it an RIA aggregator with a couple partners that I think is is um, represents the the advisory firm of the future. And I know we'll we'll get into that a little bit today. Yeah, so I think that's a great. You know, you didn't uh, you didn't jump to the end in your career with, without that background. You knew what advisors were looking for. You knew the questions they were asking. So, uh, natural progression and and good for you for a couple years back, putting putting all that knowledge to uh, to uh, to use. So, uh, excited to go through the questions. We'll we'll dive into more journey at the end as well, so everyone can learn more about the specific offering. Um, but for starters, uh, so again, lots of RAs out there. We'll get into kind of what some of the differentiators are. But as a starting point, and again, we'll, we'll assume we're talking at least the, the reasonable good value propositions out there. What are the table stakes that any, any RIA that an advisor might consider joining, they can expect? And again, we'll get into some of the differentiators. So doing the, your quarterly fee bill in for you is a pretty table stakes thing, but what are the what are the things that are just almost the gimmies, but an advisor should be aware of? It's a great, and all of these questions you're going to ask me have so many different answers. By the way, so I'm going to try to break it down as 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 simply as possible. When you are leaving the let's call it broker dealer or wirehouse space to go RIA, and you're joining an RIA, what you can expect to get at, at the absolute minimum is n- number one. Um, compliance oversight. And again, there's there's some differentiators in this, and I'll talk about platform provider RIAs versus just pure RIAs. But for the most part, if you're joining an RIA, you're going to get compliance oversight. You're probably going to get access to HR resources. Um, you're probably going to get access to what I call core infrastructure, right? So you're not going to have to create a investment model management system from scratch. You're not going to have to figure out what trading platform am I using or what financial planning software am I, am I using. Now, some RIAs give you options for all of these things I'm going to talk about. But but for the most part, when you're joining an RIA, you're not going to have to go out and build from scratch. Now, the difference if you're launching an RIA versus joining, and this is how you can really understand table stakes is if you're launching your own firm, you have to go out to the independent fintech landscape and look at all the different options that we have from a technology standpoint, from an outsource compliance standpoint, um, and, and sort of figure out how to put everything together to build a firm. Um, a firm that you join is going to have done that already. And uh, your role within that firm obviously differs, and we'll talk about that, but that's what you can expect. Basic infrastructure and basic operations, compliance, usually HR, and and sort of CIO services. Okay. Yeah, and I, I agree. The uh, the tech, I think, was a perfect example. So the, the wonderful thing about the RAA ecosystem is there's literally hundreds of fintech vendors out there. The challenging thing about the RA ecosystem is there's hundreds of fintech vendors out there. So it's it's great. There's flexibility that can be very daunting to figure out best in breed and what works best to, uh, together. So per- perfect example of what a good 
RA solution will will bring together. Uh, and I and I often point out, I, I should have said this before we jumped in. What what we're referring to, you know, is hey, maybe joining an RA is not not just some RA down the street that happens to have an empty desk in the corner that would love to have you come sit in it. That that typically does exist. If you can find somebody got a good relationship, have at it. These are these are firms that were purpose built to to address the the needs and demands of advisors. So just to kind of clarify, there's there's kind of two main kind of flavors there. So so when we go beyond the, the table stakes, let's say we've narrowed the field. We're only looking at ones that hopefully are at least doing the table stakes. Uh, and there's still a lot of them, right? So then how how as an advisor should they look at whether it's a firm like Journey or whatnot to say, okay, well, how how are you different from this firm or this firm, this firm? And I and I would caution folks just even as you surely know, Penny, there's there's confusion out there of terminology used. Some firms would call themselves a hybrid firm, an aggregate firm, whatever, and and they're speaking different languages sometimes, uh, how they're using the phrases. So so table stakes set in place. How do we begin to to say, well, what, how are these different and, and, and why I might choose one over the other. Yeah, and what might be helpful in, in sort of guiding these comments is, I want everyone to imagine the choices that exist along a spectrum. And, and that spectrum, it's really the amount of control you have over decision-making. So on one side, there's, of course, like we just said, launching your own RIA, which candidly, Brad, I don't recommend for 90% of advisors out there. Um, 10 years ago, I might have had a different answer, but it's become increasingly more expensive to run these businesses. Compliance has changed. We're regulated by the SEC, of course, and the numbers don't work as much anymore. A lot of that has to do with private equity money coming into our space. To make a long story short, the industry's favoring the larger institutions because we have scale, we get price breaks, et cetera. So, but, but here's the spectrum. Launching your own RA, you have total control, also total risk and, and responsibility. All the way on the other side is you join an RIA, you get access to all the table stake stuff, all the other stuff, but to some extent you lose your identity. Usually on the other side of the spectrum, you're selling your business to a firm like Mercer or Focus, great firms by the way, they do everything for you, you become an employee of that organization, you're still at an RIA, but you have very, very little control over resources and theoretically your destiny. Now, what we're talking about is everything in between. Now, the in-betweens are called either aggregators or consolidators. Um, the terminology sort of is, is irrelevant, but what you can know about that is within that spectrum, you are going to have access to different levels of resources. Some firms, like we said, are going to offer you just the table stakes, and then it's your responsibility to go out build your own brand name, do your own marketing, essentially run your own firm. Yes, you're going to have access to all the outsourced resources, the compliance, the HR, the outsourced open architecture investment management platform, but you have to plug in the gaps and really build. I will tell you, most advisors who are disappointed at the move to RIA go to a structure like that and then realize, oh my gosh, this is so similar to being at name the broker dealer and still having to run my own business and still hitting capacity and still having margins compress year after year because I can't gain scale and capacity. And so I just want folks to know, going to a place where you're going to have to do a lot of the same things on a day-to-day -day basis you were doing before, um, you're going to have a similar experience. Now, what's positive about joining an RIA like that? If you've come from a captive environment, you're going to notice that technology is going to be better. 
the 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 and and I I'll put an asterisk because I'll get to the technology my rub with technology but technology is going to be better and more impressive to you and the way of doing business is going to be and this is anecdotal easier most folks that are considering this transition to RIA are coming from a wirehouse or a broker dealer where they're not allowed to charge fees a certain way. They're not allowed to post on social media. They have the home office breathing down their neck and they've really outgrown the system. I have found coaching thousands of advisors and now running an RIA with nine advisory teams and 3 billion in AUM, everybody agrees. The ease of doing business, it's there. When you're regulated by the SEC as an RIA, I always say it's not FINRA regulations. Now we're still like compliance is a major sort of part of our business, but it's a more, I would say, logical and modern approach to supporting advisors in doing business the way the consumer wants to engage with the advisor. So experience is going to be slightly better, but you still have to run your own sort of thing. Now, the other option along that spectrum is the firm like a journey, let's say there's tons of other firms out there that are similar to us, although we have some extremely unique differentiators where the firm says, we're gonna offer you the table stakes, but we're gonna also help you run the business. So we are actually gonna help you put the tech together. We're gonna make sure that data is flowing efficiently. We're gonna actually take care of investment management for you. We're going to trade for you. We're going to do performance reporting and billing because we don't want you to do any of the operational or admin stuff. My final thought on this note is that the most critical question an advisor can ask themselves before they move, two things. What are the things I never want to do again? What are my biggest pain points? And what are the resources I'm going to need now and five years from now, based on what my vision is for the business, most advisors think that technology and investment management and services are a differentiator. And I will tell you, they are not. All of us RIAs have access to the same tech. If a firm is telling you our tech is the best, they're lying to you. If a firm is telling you our investment management strategy is the best, they're not being truthful. The reality is, is that the differentiators between these different RIAs depends on how much does the advisor want to be an operator versus an advisor? And that's really when we can get down to what's the right model for an advisor. Yeah, a lot, I'm, I'm uh, putting down some notes here to follow up with you on. So a lot of, a lot of great points on that. And uh, I think a way to maybe kind of try to frame it, by the way, there's a loaded question. I think you did a great job answering, but but you, you, you could extrapolate another 40 minutes on that question alone, right? Um, so it's it's hard to sum up just the differentiators, but but hopefully what those listening have realized is that that there are differentiators, right? These are these are not cookie cutter. So, I mean, there are some cookie cutter solutions out there, but there are some differentiators. And I would say kind of almost the inverse of what Penny was saying is there's also a lot of misconceptions out there that, oh, if I were to join an RIA, I have to sell my firm or or I I will have worse technology or whatnot. Uh, and and I often say that the RMO is not for everyone. So I'm not sitting here saying, oh, it's going to be a better solution for everyone. However, for most it is. And so if there's some misconception, if there's a thought you have, if there's a chance it's a misconception, you say, oh, I don't even want to explore that because of X. Perhaps that's correct, but it behooves you to at least learn more and understand. And I have come across 
folks that that do think it is just the option of the RA down the street with the desk in the corner or that I have to sell my my practice and and you might be at a place in your your career where selling your practice is the step you need to be taken so there's nothing wrong with that but if you're not at that point just know that 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 does not exclude some wonderful options out there so uh appreciate you trying to sum that up like I said loaded loaded question on that front uh so so let's say we'll we'll, we'll pick on journey here we'll use a live example so someone Kind of likes what they just heard. They they get it. Like a journey's got the table stakes. They get your point outs on the differentiators. Okay, that sounds great. But now the devil's in the details. I have a unique practice. I got to actually see how this works. So if someone will use we'll use you as a live example. If someone reaches out to you and says, "Penny, saw you on Brad's show," or or however else they see you, uh, I kind of like to learn more about journey. Literally, what does that first conversation entail? to kind of prep advisors to be able to take that step? It's a great question. The first conversation is usually, and this is not unique to Journey, it's, it's usually what happens, is a sort of introductory conversation where both parties are trying to um, solve two objectives. Number one, what is it that the advisor is really deeply looking for? And, and I caution every advisor, if you're having a conversation with a firm and within the first conversation, they're talking about money that they can offer you and, deal structure it, like just no that is reflective of the culture of the organization the first call should be what is it that is just i always say disturbing you enough to have a conversation with me what is it that is making you feel like okay now might be the time for me to sort of take take the next step so understanding the psyche of the advisor the firm that you're talking to should be doing that in the initial call on the flip side the the, you should leave that call advisors with an understanding of the basic sort of value proposition of the RIA and how that fits in, at least this is how we view it, how that fits into the greater RIA landscape. So what we try to do is explain to advisors, here's our model, here's why we believe this model makes sense for advisors like you, and here's how it's slightly different from what you might be used to in terms of options that are available in the RAA space. So basic understanding of why we're doing this, why it's structured like this, and on the flip side, understanding of where the advisor's at, what they're feeling, what they're thinking, and 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 really what they need in order to make a powerful decision moving forward. Yeah, and, and, and to, to if it wasn't obvious from Penny's response, right, this is this is not a one call process by any stretch of the imagination. It's the, it's the first call that starts the process. And so I think that's great to kind of set the tone of, and we'll get into kind of how long the whole process takes in general for where, where someone keeps digging further. So what, what uh, someone like you who's had countless of these calls uh, clearly can kind of guide the ship as needed for an advisor. And, and you know, the kinds of things they probably should be asking or that they probably should be aware of in that first call, but, but, maybe not as everyone is as versed as you are. And, and so for an advisor that's calling whoever is a solution, what what are maybe some specific questions, again, on that first call, that, that it's, it's time to get into more of the weeds, but on that first call that that advisor should should probably be asking just to make sure that this is a worthwhile continuing the conversation. So worrying about the 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 how the fee bones process irrelevant on that first call, but what are the big things to say, okay, this is worth me having a second call essentially? 
Yeah, I think, great question. Uh, a couple things. N number one, just sort of basic understanding of like the core resources, like, and ask the, the, the firm, like, what, what do you consider to be sort of the table stake resources and then the value add resources of the firm? The reason why that question is really important is because at the end of this engagement, you're going to get a deal, a term sheet with a payout structure usually it's really important for you to make sure that the services and value add that you're getting from the firm are commensurate with the amount that you are giving up to join the RIA. No matter what, you're giving up some basis points or some revenue to join a firm. You have to make sure, number one reason why people leave their firm, by the way, whether it's a captive system or a wire, they no longer feel they're getting the value they deserve given the revenue they're giving up. So solidifying that and having somebody explain that to you in sort of bullet point format, really important. Other things that are really important to ask, um, be upfront about what your current pain points are, whether that's compliance, whether that's enterprise value of your firm, whether that's you want to buy books of business and you're unable to do that within the captive system that you're in, whatever it is, bring those to the table and ask the RIA, how would you help me solve for these? How do you alleviate my top pain points? If they are unable to answer that effectively or have an answer at all, it's likely that there's going to be a mismatch some, somewhere down the line. The last thing I'll say is, and maybe this isn't a first call, but most RIAs, we are an exception because we are still a boutique firm. Most of the time for the big national aggregators, you're talking to the firm's best salesperson. You're not talking to the people you're going to be engaging with on a daily basis, the people who are going to be problem solving for you. Ask for a list of who those people are and make sure you get on a call with them or a Zoom and figure out if A, you have synergy and B, you sort of trust their judgment in helping you solve problems. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I tell people don't don't either fall in love with the person you're talking to or dislike the person you're talking to because they're only going to play a part. And sometimes it's only the beginning of the engagement that's exactly right playing that part. Uh, and, and obviously you're going to be dealing with these other folks much more over the, the duration of the relationship. So great, great suggestion there uh, where, uh, and, and I would recommend it typically not come up in the first conversation. And, and if it, if it, if it does, either the advisors seeking the wrong thing, or to your point, if, if, if an RA is pitching this early on, they're, they probably don't have very good value prop, but it is what it is. Economics are relevant, right? So it's kind of like, you know, in a corporate world, you sit down for a job interview. The first thing, you know, the first two minutes of the interview, you don't ask what the salary is, but at some point you do got to make sure you're on the same page. So when is it appropriate in this process? And we'll get kind of what happens beyond the first call, but is it appropriate, reasonable to bring up in the first call? And if and if not, what's what's the best way to just broach the subject? It does need to be discussed. And I would I would point out to folks, right, and 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 Penny point out price alone is meaningless. It's price for the value you received. And there are there are solutions out there that are dirt cheap. And I have advisors at those solutions that reach out to me and they're complaining they're not getting much. And I ask, I say, well, what are you paying? And it's this ridiculously low number. I said, well, what do you, what do you expect? <laughs> they have costs, they have risk, they have to make a profit. That's so right. It's, you got you to gotta factor value, as Penny was saying, of course, to the price. But to, to back to the original question, when, when is it appropriate or how should it come up in conversation about how the economics would work? So yeah, I'm so 
I could go on a soapbox about what you just said before the question, though. Keep in mind that firms that are offering you a very high payout, which is, by the way, the industry has taught advisors, like, go for the 94% payout. That is irrelevant in our space. When you are an RIA business owner in the RIA space, what you should care about is net take-home pay. Forget the high payout because know that you're going to have to run a very expensive business underneath that sort of, you know, net, net or, or, or gross number. Um, to your point, again, if it's a very high payout, know that the firm is marking up technology that you could theoretically access cheaper so that they can make margin. I mean, everybody has to make some money in this business. Know that with that structure, it is unlikely that you are going to get ongoing service and attention from the RA on an ongoing basis because their business model is not designed to sort of support that ongoing consulting. Okay, so that that's, I'll just say, keep that in mind. The honest answer, Brad, is, and I say this to advisors, it is your experience. You are in control of the experience. If you want to ask, what is the economic structure? Give me an example of what a term sheet looks like in the first call. It is your right to do so. Um, we've gotten to a place where the power and part of why we launched Journey is the power almost sits in the acquirer's hands now or the aggregator's hands, right? Because we're saying, oh, we'll buy your business or this is what you should be doing or this is what every advisor is doing. I want advisors to take the time to define success for themselves and recognize that they have all the leverage. Um, and so the honest answer is, if you want to ask about it in the first call, you should be able to. If the RA says, well, we can't really get into that, like they should be able to. It's just like if somebody says, what do you charge? Do you want them to ask that right off the bat? No. But if they ask that, do you have an eloquent and fair answer to that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great point. Uh, it, it, if, if asked, if someone dodges the question entirely, then then that's probably all you need to know right there, that they're not willing to at least give you some some general context. So I think that's fair. And and I, uh, by the way, on your you're kind of talking about broker dealers with high payouts. How I equate that is uh, to resort fees at hotels. So hotels right, have these room rates. And that's when you go on, you know, hotels.com or whatever, you only see the room rate and they're trying to be competitive with, with each other. And of course, there's some man, mandatory resort fee. And at the end of the day, you don't care what they call it. You call it a resort fee, call it a room rate. It's how much are you paying? And so you do see that game played with a lot of broker dealers that they have these oh, yeah. seemingly high payout rates. And then they have a you know 25 basis point platform fee or whatever. And exactly you have to equate that, as you said, what actually flows into your pocket from Exactly. The, fee the client is paying because the client doesn't care who gets what. They're just saying, what am I paying, obviously, for their value and how much flows to you. So I think it's important to get into the details. And that's why it's not right. That's not it's not a 10 second answer of, oh, here's here's the payout or, or whatnot. It just, there's more nuances to it. So thanks for giving some perspective on, sure. on that. Um so an advisor's reached out, uh, the first call. And, and by the way, I, I advisors, you probably experienced this. Penny, tell me if, if you would concur. You will sometimes be able to get to a quick no in your head. If you have a conversation, it's easy, and, and you should, if you're not, if it's not uh, seemingly a good fit, it's easy to get to a quick no of, is this a solution for me? The yes can and should take a while because there's a lot of things to go through. So don't don't be afraid of getting to a quick no and not wasting your time. But just Absolutely. know that the yes process takes longer. So along those lines, let's say after that first call, that first call has gone relatively well. It seems to make sense. And 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 Penny, give me your thoughts. I I'd encourage advisors that first call is oftentimes just to say, hey, does it make sense 
to continue the conversation. You know, that that's the main objective. Is this a potential solution provider that, that we can continue the conversation? So let's say we're feeling good about this. It makes sense. If I'm the advisor, you and I chat, uh, I, I, it makes sense to continue. What can I expect to happen next in this process and in the weeks or months to follow? How, how does that play out after that kind of wheel starts flying? Yeah, that, and by the way, um, for us specifically, and this is in m many cases, the no's, they tend to be tied to things like investment management philosophy, which is important, by the way. If you want to manage portfolios, you're an investment manager by trade, I, we can get a whole, we can have a whole other webinar on that. Um, your active management style, like, and the firm philosophically doesn't manage money that way or can't support you in doing that, like that's sort of an immediate no. If you um, cannot imagine giving up control over things like your bookkeeping, or you want to be the C CCO of the firm, the chief compliance officer, and the firm again, philosophically has a different perspective on what an advisor should be doing versus what they should be doing, you can immediately say this isn't the firm for me. Now, assuming it's a yes, what you can expect moving forward a couple things. The firm should be taking you through a deep dive within all the areas of service that they offer. So now, again, if the firm is just offering you access to baseline resources, um, sort of a different it's a different set of conversations, but those conversations should include demoing the systems, giving you a sense of like the look and feel of the experience of engaging with whatever their tech platform is or whatever their sort of resources are. If you're getting more of the full-fledged experience from an RIA, which by the way, is where the industry is moving. The bigger firms, advisors are realizing, I don't really want to build my own thing. I want to join a firm get all the benefits, get the economic benefits of being part, part of a bigger organization, then it's our responsibility to educate advisors on everything. Operations, investment management, practice management, marketing, human capital. I'm obviously biased towards my firm, but this is where having people who have experience, not just in advising successfully, our management teams made up of advisors and former consultants, but folks that can define practice management in the way an advisor would and take you through how they support you in each of those areas, client experience is one that I missed. Um, the calls that you do should mimic each of those areas. So by the time you're done, you have a full view of what it's going to feel like and be like being with that firm on a daily, monthly, quarterly, annual basis. Now, at some point during that process, you are going to likely have to give a PL to the advisor, uh, to the firm. Um, if you are looking to de-risk or monetize, or sell a portion or all of your business, you're going to have to give your financials. The firm is likely going to do evaluation. A lot of times those things happen concurrently. And so be mindful of that as well, because they are going to ask you for a lot of financial information so that they can put a fair market value on your business if that is a direction you're moving. Yeah, and I think that's a perfect example where that first call is important to just make sure, hey, is it is it worth keep going down this path, right? You don't uh, you don't go on a first date with someone and, and immediately you know need to know their their water bill every month, kind of thing. You know, <laughs> that, that these are important details that might be relevant at some point. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're not they're not first date uh, topics. So, right. Uh, I think that's certainly helpful. And then how 
So assuming ideally, right, any advisor or some scenarios where unfortunately there's some circumstances that has caused an advisor to move quicker than, than would be ideal. So assuming the house is not on fire, but there are the right motivations and, and the, the going on this new path makes sense for the advisor, start to finish, just a ballpark. I know there's, there's uh, exceptions from that first call to the time that they might be making the actual change roughly how much time do you usually counsel people to to commit to making that work it is there's so many answers to this we've done it in 30 days we've done it in one year what i tell advisors realistically start to fi finish give yourself six months of time um now even within that six months of time if i mean and well i'll say this be patient with yourself around the initial discovery process. I know advisors who took six months just to talk to different firms and then another six months to really schedule out and feel comfortable with a transition. What tends to happen though, and the reason I say six months, is when you, once you start having conversations with firms, it, you start to get a, a clearer picture of who you like, which type of people you align with, which firms are definite no, who's, and, it, and the process sort of happens quicker. Anecdotally, of course, but I've heard this from many advisors. Once you actually start dipping your toe, the process starts to pick up in pace. Give yourself six months of time. I think that's um, realistic, but this is where joining a bigger firm is sometimes more favorable, and it's why it's it's why these the larger firms are getting bigger. It's because they have scale, it's because they have resources, and it's because they have capital. So realistically, a firm like Journey can buy an advisor's practice, can structure a deal um, as quickly or slowly as an advisor needs to. That's another important question, by the way, to, to think about during this process. What resources am I going to need five years from now? If you think in five years you're going to want to start thinking about succession plan and you're with a firm that doesn't have a strong balance sheet or isn't private equity backed, guess what? There's no succession plan. You're going to have to go somewhere else or you're going to have to figure out a deal internally. And so things like that, advisors don't often think about that they should think about. And a lot of times that's why the larger firms are a better option. Yeah, because the larger firms, you're not, you don't want to be the guinea pig as the advisor, right? You want Correct. to know that this is a, a well-oiled process where, where a lot of people come before you and and uh, you, you're just, you're already going into, like I said, a, a good mechanism to get you across uh, the line there. Um, on the time too, I would, I would point out, and I agree with you and under this necessary circumstances, it can be truncated. I, I do like your six month. That's, that's typically what I usually quote as well. And then I would, I would point out for advisors too, don't, uh, and I've ranted about this on episodes before. So some of you have heard this, but don't, uh, arbitrarily make the process any longer than it needs to be too, by, by kicking the can, because among other things, if you like the vision that you're now considering and you like the solution you're you're exploring, you're going to start getting excited about that. And if anything at your current firm bugs you now, it is going to bug you times 10 because you know the new path is waiting for you and you're just going to get more and more aggravated. So if you arbitrarily make that process longer, it's just going to cause aggravation. And in Penny, as a, a practice management, I, I uh, and maybe you could opine on this real quick. The, the, a challenge too, once you start making that transition, if you take it too long, at some point you will take your foot off the gas of trying to 100%. onboard new clients because you 100%. don't want to come back to a month later. So, how do you just uh, what, how do you usually frame that 
like, hey, get, get on with it. And that's why you need to make a change. Or, or how do you kind of set expectations there? Yeah, a lot of it is just it's mindset stuff. And advisors know this. They've been entrepreneurs to some extent for a long time. So a lot of this is just, you know, staying focused and knowing already that no matter what decision you make, there are going to be challenges along the way. Um, I, I will tell you, I've never met an advisor who regretted going RIA. I've, I've met advisors who've said, maybe this wasn't the best choice and then have jumped to a different RIA. And there's plenty of that, by the way. But I've never said, met somebody who said, we made this move from XYZ captive firm and we regret it ever. But know that it's going to be sort of challenging and stressful. And I would say if you're really stuck between two options, the differentiator in so many cases should come down to the people you're going to be dealing with. Honestly, at the end of the day, if you're joining firms where maybe one's resources are a little bit better, but the other one has something else that you like, keep in mind that just like any, any, anything else, you're going to be dealing with people on a daily basis. You want people who can problem solve. You want people who have high emotional intelligence and empathy, and you want people that really understand the industry um, because the industry is changing so quickly, not just from a technology standpoint, but from a pricing standpoint, from a deal-making standpoint, having a firm that really has your back in terms of educating you on what's happening in the industry you're in, that is really, really important. So a lot of times it comes down to the people. And, and sometimes that right is cl cliche, people toss culture, but people, but I, I agree 100%. And, and I had a guy, I, I, I didn't come up with this myself, I worked with years ago, and, and he framed it, he would say, and you, you kind of referred to the change, right? There will be change, uh, whether it's five years from now, 10 years from now, 50, there will be change, regulatory, who knows what that, and who knows what that change yes. is. So you want to you want to associate yourself with people that you feel will make the best decisions in your interest when that change comes correct none of us know what that is but you do know who your dance partner is that will hopefully be helping you navigate through that so i i think it can be cliche at times to say people culture whatever but it is what it is that's who's going to be your dance partner and, and it's very important so absolutely i, yeah. I back that up yeah entirely uh sorry good no, I I would say meet with them, have a meal with them. Don't get, don't, don't, I, I know a lot of advisors get very, it's the red shiny object syndrome, whether the, the firm is flying you on a private plane or offering you XYZ money. By the way, if firms are offering you money, they're either buying a stake of your business or it's a forgivable note. A lot of times advisors are like, we're getting a million dollars. I'm like, you're not getting a million dollars free, free. And so make sure you know sort of what comes along with that. Meet the people in person. The last thing I'll say is if a firm is offering you resources, and I'm very, I'm very critical of this as a practice management sort of expert. If someone is saying we offer practice management resources, ask them what that means. Usually that doesn't mean anything. It means they're posting a couple videos and maybe every once in a while they're, they have a relationship manager calling you. If you are somebody who wants to access those resources from a firm, who wants help making decisions about the business, what should I be charging? Who should I be hiring? What should I be paying them? Ask them to explain what practice management resources means. For us, it is proactive, meaning we are actively engaging in consulting and coaching engagements with our own advisors, which is a major differentiator, and it's a gap that we saw in the industry. I think that I think that's a great point, and it, it reminds me of uh, you know. There's a lot of advisors that uh, there's surveys of advisors that have done say, well, what is one of your differentiators? And they say, well, we give great service. But it's like well, everyone says that now, whether they don't, everyone says they give great service, but 
who actually is doing it. And so everyone yeah. will say they have this practice management support. And if that's the extent of the conversation, just know that you haven't answered anything. You might as well not even ask the question. You, you got to <laughs> dig deeper as, uh, as Penny said. That's right. So. And ask them to define yeah. it. If somebody says we offer great service, ask them, how does that manifest in your interactions with me as an advisor of your firm? The best in the business will have service standards. We do. If somebody says, how, you guys say your operations team and service is best in class. What does that mean? We have very specific standards for what that means in terms of communication time, in terms of how we communicate with advisors, in terms of when we communicate. Um, so don't be afraid to ask. This is a huge life-changing decision to some extent, most of the times for the better. Put the responsibility on the, on the firm to show you what they have. Yep. Yep. Don't just, don't just say it. They can't just give a two sentence answer. They got to demonstrate exactly. it and, and get into, and get into the weeds again. After, that's why the first call, that's just to say, Hey, do we continue on this? But then there's a lot of details you got to get, get into further as you go. Uh, so last, last question we, we could, I love this topic. I, I love your, I love your commentary. Um, we could talk about this for hours. So this, this is by no means even remotely covering anything and everything that could be discussed on this topic. But the, the last thing I wanted to just cover because it is an important thing is that if someone concludes that this is this joining an RA is the path that's best for them, they've done all this work, they've done the six months, the that they've found the right partner. Well, none of that matters if the transition is not successful, right? So that to, you you want to be able to successfully move from wherever you are to your new home. So what are not just the table stakes, but resources that a advisor can expect from a firm they are joining to help them. And we're not, we're not talking money again. Like, you know, if someone's writing the big check and you, you need to consider what that does or doesn't mean, we're talking the resources to logistically help the person move their clients. So what, what, what can be expected there? there this is, I'm nodding so much. My head's falling off because this is huge. And I would say this should be a major conversation point when you're vetting different firms. Transitions are not fun. Any, any firm that tells you there, it's going to be great and, and everything's going to go perfectly and you're going to have no stress is not being truthful. Even the best in the business, the firms that put a whole lot of emphasis on helping with the transition, it is still stressful. Um, understanding how much a firm steps in to help, critical, critically important, just like the conversation we were just having before, ask them to literally list out what they do for you. In a best case scenario, a firm like Journey and many of the other aggregators and consolidators, by the way, out there, We'll do everything for you. Everything from the actual paperwork to open accounts. We are one of the exceptions. We will actually do that. The advisor doesn't touch a piece of paperwork at all whatsoever. They're not in the custodial portal. Now, some firms will help with organizing data, get you ready to go, but then it's your responsibility to actually send out the wealth management agreements and the new applications, whatever. But best case scenario is you're joining a firm that is helping you figure out which custodian to go to. That's another major decision, by the way. If you have yep. to repaper, major decision. Um, a firm that's going to advocate for you if you don't have to repaper. Um, a firm that's going to handle getting transition costs covered. So a lot of times custodians will actually pay for certain services, whether it's legal services or whatever, to, to if advisors are joining. So having a firm help you with all of that and then taking it a step further, um, in, in my opinion, the firm should help advisors, and we do, with the communication plan. 
How are we communicating the transition to clients? Are we saying something different to certain households that have specific sensitivities? We will actually go so far as to write the talk scripts. We record the videos. Um, we help the advisor do a book of business analysis where we're saying, hey, here's an opportunity for you to gain a little bit of margin when you come here, raise your fees, but have the client pay the same or less. Now that might sound odd, but a lot of times when an advisor is leaving a broker dealer, there isn't the platform fee anymore. There's an opportunity for them to make more revenue and charge the client the same or less. So having a firm that's helping you do all that pre-work so that when you start, your book of business is organized, your fee structure is organized, and you have a plan for getting money over in 30 days, you want a firm that's going to give you the, the concierge white level, uh, white glove level type of um, transition engagement. And I, I think that's the exact same example we talked about practice management or service. You can't just say, hey, do you have good transition support? The right. answer is yes. From every RA that, that is out there, you got to go well beyond that as, as and, and, and Penny didn't even cover everything that could be talked about with right. that, but those are, those are some of the main points. So I think just, again, you don't need to, necessarily worry about that if you don't have the right dance partner to begin with, but it is absolutely a very relevant part of can this firm support? I mean, it's kind of telling too, if the firm doesn't have a good, solid mechanism to help you move over, how are they going to have a good, solid mechanism to help you grow and, and solve all the, you know, the the new client needs that, that go forward? So it's very telling, but also extremely important that that's all in place. Um, so thanks for sharing thoughts on that. Uh, just to wrap up, obviously, uh, through, through some of our conversation, uh, folks have been able to get a, a little idea of the journey story, but uh, would love to have you wrap up. Just go ahead and give us uh, you know, the proverbial kind of elevator pitch. Where might journey be worth that first conversation? You know, Let's just start there. And then if you could also share contact information, we'll put it in the show notes. But uh, if people want to reach out to you and, and have that first conversation, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. You can find me anywhere on LinkedIn, any social channels, Penny Phillips. Um, but our website is journeyswadvisor.com, Journey Strategic Wealth. Um, we are, what we were trying to solve for in the industry, Brad, was this idea that advisors, uh, I'll say it this way, the way the industry has defined success for advisors is advisor needs to transition to CEO at some point and run and operate this big business and you know go out on their own. And the reality is, is I found most advisors really enjoy being advisors and they want to go independent and they want to go RIA, but they recognize that they don't really want to run a business. But the only option for them is to have to join another organization and maybe give up equity and give up control and they don't want to do that either so our model is perfect for the advisor who wants to advise who wants to sp spend 80 percent or more of their time working with clients or business developing and still wants to own equity still wants to own their clients doesn't want to feel like they're restricted by a home office and can't ever leave or be handcuffed We're, we have no restrictive covenants in our contracts which is very very rare meaning a team can leave us at any time but it's our responsibility to keep advisors happy and give them the resources they need to continue to grow and build businesses and spend most of their time with clients. Yeah, I, I love it. I love the, you know, essentially you're saying, hey, advisors, you're you're a free agent. 
we we have to work hard to retain your business, not because there's some arbitrary guardrails to 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 uh, lock you in. Which unfortunately, right, there's a lot of models in the industry that that is what the case is. So. I certainly encourage people that have uh, where this has maybe resonated to reach out to uh, to Penny again in the uh, the show notes. Uh, if you head on over to transition to ra.com, it's episode number eighty nine. We'll have the website, uh, other info. But but uh, Penny, I love your passion for this. Thank you. Uh, I, I ex- this is exactly what I expected on this episode. I've seen you so many countless times, and obviously our one on one conversations. I know you're passionate about it, so thank you for coming on and and, and sharing your knowledge. Uh, and again, we, we only really scratched the surface here, but uh, I hope it's been valuable for those listening along. And uh, again, thank you, Penny, for coming on. Thank you so much.